is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Friday afternoon. It's the best time of the week. Everybody's getting excited for the weekend. We all got fun weekend plans, I hope. I'm in a great mood. So let's talk about busts. Why not? I'm Adam Azer. Here's Heath Cummings. Always a sleeper, a breakout, never a bust. What's up, Heath? I am rarely a sleeper or a breakout. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for the weekend, Adam. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, yeah. Are you, uh, are you going to a brewery this weekend? I, I'm going to a brewery about five minutes after we finish this podcast. <laughs> I'm going down to our up to, back to Bang & Banjo Brewery. Have some, uh, have some beers. It sounds, I mean, I wouldn't go, but that sounds like a fun place. Like that's a very cool name. And we have B- Bangin' Ben Gretsch here. Ben, what's going on? <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Everybody calls me that. That's like my my name. You know, it's just it works. It's a great nickname. How are you, man? Well, happy Friday. I'm good. Yeah, happy Friday to you guys too. Finally, gonna finish my move this weekend. So no breweries for me quite yet, but. I'm I'm at the finish line, so I'm pretty pumped. Good stuff, man. And you are wearing a Callahan Auto T-shirt, which is terrific. So uh, that's Sandusky, Ohio. Beautiful. All right, so I got five fun questions for you. They are somewhat about busts, uh, and then I'm going to ask you guys about who has elite upside because Ben's going to talk about his running back strategy that he alluded to on a previous show where he doesn't want guys in the middle rounds who don't have elite upside. So we're going to talk about that in a bit. And the fantasy regulators are back. We have a strong, strong round of fantasy regulators today. Heath, I'll start with you. Who is one player you are absolutely not drafting in the early rounds? And you don't want me to say Melvin Gordon and make you mad, right? Correct. So I'm going to say, you know, this one shouldn't be as obvious because we've known for a long time what the deal is. And the ADP, I think, is too high. I'm going to go with Todd Gurley. Uh, I believe on Fantasy Pros, his ADP is 14th overall. And NFFC, ADP is like 16th overall. I don't feel comfortable taking Todd Gurley that early. When would you take Todd Gurley? Because he was the answer to the next question. For me, the next question is, who is one popular bus candidate you aren't worried about? And I actually wrote, you know, these are Chris Towers' questions. He's got this newsletter. You should subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I, I said Gurley. But that's more like twenty. That's you're more not like worried about Gurley. I mean, I am worried, but not to the point where he's been falling in our drafts, which is maybe after the top twenty-four. But yes, at, at fourteen, 15, what did you say? Sixteen around there. That's a little I think early. he usually goes in the first four picks of the third round in our drafts, and I think that's fine. I'm not cool with with fourteen through seventeen. I can agree with that because I have been taking him early in the third round. And I, just with the sort of positive reports coming out lately, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. Uh, ben, who is a guy you are absolutely not drafting in the early rounds? I, I'm not getting Le'Veon Bell anywhere. I just have too many concerns about his situation. I mean, I think he's a really good player, but it's just such a different situation than Pittsburgh. He always had this like dominant work share uh of the Pittsburgh backfield he also had a higher paced offense he also had a lot more scoring opportunities than I expect from the Jets who I mean the Jets could take a step forward as an offense this year but 
he's kind of in a tough spot. I mean, there's just all of those factors are probably going to make his opportunity a lot lower this year. And he's still being drafted a little higher than I would like, because I think a lot of people are looking at it like, well, this guy has been an elite RB one several times in his career, but so much of running back production is based on the situation. And there's just almost no possible way he can get near the amount of touches he got in Pittsburgh, whether it's big. I mean, first of all, just because of the team volume. But then when you get into like, well, what if the backups, the secondary backs play more than the backups in Pittsburgh did? And then, you know, could he ever potentially score as much as, as he did in some seasons in Pittsburgh? And I don't think that's really possible either. I, so do, think, I do think that's possible. That's the only thing I think is possible because he never was a big touchdown guy for a guy who rolled out of bed at 2,000 total yards. Le'Veon Bell, what's his season high in total touchdowns? I think it's 12, passing, you know, receiving and rushing. He's never had a double-digit rushing touchdown season, which James Conner did have last year, oddly enough. Uh, so that was the only thing that I would disagree with you on in that in what you said uh, about Le'Veon, who is going seventh overall in CBS ADP, which is, yeah, too early. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he, he, his season high is, is 11, but he also only played 16 games once. So okay. he scored 42 touchdowns in 62 games there. I'd expect him to be closer to like, you know, 8 to 10. 42 in 62 games is, is more like 11 or 12 probably in a season. So, I, yeah, it's a little tougher for me to, to see that. But I, I do agree with you. That would be the side that, that would be most plausible. Uh, but, yeah, I just don't I don't see the 100 target season. I don't see the the huge rush workload. I just don't. I, I, the situation is just not what it was in Pittsburgh in pretty much every way you can slice it. All right. Who is one popular bus candidate that you are not worried about? Ben, I'll go to you first. Yeah, Damian Williams for me. I mean, he's a popular bus candidate. He's also a popular boom candidate for a lot of people. He kind of you kind of fall on one side of the fence either way. Um, I yeah, I'm not worried about it. Uh, I, he's going to get the first crack of the job and. There's, you know, that inertia when a running back gets put in there and gets the first opportunity. They have that working in their favor. I don't think the Kansas City offense is going to struggle. Uh, he's always been a good receiving back, like uh, efficiency wise. And he's caught, I believe, 20 passes at least every year of his career, even when he was a, a part time player with Miami. So a little bit on the volume side as well. Like he wasn't playing a ton, but he's at least catching 20 balls a year. Uh, definitely has that ability to, to play in the pass game and the run game. And that's what Andy Reid likes. It's something that we've talked about in this pod a lot, that Carlos Hyde, probably his biggest competition, isn't as good of a receiver as a lot of people think. So for me, I mean, I think he's going to get the first crack. He's going to be good enough and productive enough, even if he's not necessarily great. But because of the offense, he's going to produce somewhere. He's either going to produce in the passing game or he's going to produce on the ground or he's going to score enough touchdowns. But they're not going to have any reason to bench him. So I, I just... For me, getting the first crack in a great offense like that is a really positive thing, and I just I'm not very concerned about him losing his job. The health is the only is the only concern, but you know, all running backs You're are right. risky in that sense. Give me a one one to five word answer. Are you cool with Damian Williams in the second round in a non PPR draft? Yes. All right, that was only one. You have four more words to use for the rest of the show. Good stuff, Heath. Who's the popular Lots of touchdowns? <laughs> Who's the popular uh, bus candidate you are not worried about? I struggled a little bit with this one, but I think I've seen enough people say uh, talk about Tyler Lockett and regression to say that he would be my guy. I do like I totally agree with the idea that he's probably not going to average 13.8 yards per target again this year because nobody does that. 
And I wouldn't expect him to score once every seven targets. Nobody, nobody does that either. But you look at Russell Wilson's history in Seattle. His number one receiver gets 22 to 25% of the targets in his offense. Even if there's not a huge increase in targets this year, that should be a minimum of 100 targets for Lockett, who should be the unquestionable number one wide receiver. That's almost a 50% increase over last year. And if, even if you look at his efficiency before last year, it was still well over nine yards per target. He's still elite in that manner. So I, I expect Tyler Lockett to have his first 1,000-yard season and still probably score seven or eight touchdowns. All right, a few more questions for you. Let's see. How closely do you follow average draft position, ADP, when you draft? Heath? Less than you would think, I guess, is my answer. Like, I don't know what's close or not. I don't ignore it entirely. And I've got a pretty, like, for me at least, the standard ADP is less important than what, like, happens in our analyst drafts. Yeah, what I, I think, think the three people of have us... to understand. Well, but I think it relates to other people. Because when you start doing your home league drafts, the odds of that league following the ADP that we've set over the last three months of drafting are really pretty low. So I don't like it's it's somewhat helpful as a guide to make sure, like if you think D.D. Westbrook's a fifth round pick and he never goes until the ninth, to not take him in the fifth round. But I'm not like oh it's it's the seventh round and D.D. Westbrook's the guy I want, but he's not supposed to go until the ninth, so I'm not going to take him until next round. I mean, I, I think that the three of us and the other guys you hear on this show, we have a pretty good idea of what ADP is by the time we're doing our, our real drafts. So I don't really focus on it that much. But I do think that you out there should have a general idea. Just, you know, take a look at average draft position and, and kind of understand players' values. But also just be wary. It only takes one other owner in your league to like someone a lot more than you think. And then all of a sudden, maybe one of the sleepers you had is gone. So, yeah, ADP is useful. I've never really had a time where after a draft maybe later in the season but after a draft i i thought felt like man i'm just so disappointed that i drafted that guy two rounds before his adp yeah it's a good but point. i've had i've had a lot of times where i was like man I, how did i miss this guy <laughs> right no it's a good point all right ben let me get you the next question here who's the one player whose adp will rise the most before week one um i, I I'm taking Josh Gordon. I think, you know, we're waiting on impending news there. He's like a last round or really late round pick, depending on <clears throat> what type of leagues you're drafting in right now. Uh, in our analyst mocks that the Heat was talking about, sometimes he comes off the board a little bit before the last round. But um, I think all indications are that we're going to get some type of reinstatement. Maybe he has a small suspension, but even if he has a suspension, I still kind of think his ADP would rise at that point. I mean, people are taking Kareem Hunt really high, and he's going to be out eight games. It's just like the uncertainty of him not being reinstated. Uh, we saw with Tyree Kill, too. Once that news dropped, his ADP completely readjusted. Uh, I think as soon as we get any kind of information on Gordon, his ADP is going to fly up. Gordon, very good in three games without Rob Gronkowski last year, his three best games. Uh, Heath, the player whose ADP will rise the most. Oh, I'm so glad this is a Heath and Ben podcast for me. My answer to this, the, the name that I sent Chris Towers was Peyton Barber, whose ADP right Ooh. now is in the 10th round. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe I, I would understand Ben's argument that it shouldn't rise, but we can't like we get another two or three weeks of these 
Bruce Arians talking about Peyton Barber being his starting running back and everyone talking about Peyton Barber being the starting running back. And at some point, drafters are going to say, why is there a starting running back available in the 10th round? Mm-hmm. But are they going to say that in the 8th round? What do you mean? Are they going to be willing to take Peyton Barber in the 8th round? I would, yes, I would I would anticipate he is a top 90 pick. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets to the 7th. Do you think Ronald Jones will fall then? I don't know because it only takes one Ronald Jones truther in a draft for him to go in the top eight rounds. He won't fall <laughs> in any of our drafts because <laughs> I, like, I, I think one in 12 fantasy football players are Ronald Jones truthers. So it'd be difficult for Jones to fall too much. All right, I know Ben's a Ronald Jones guy. We've talked about that a lot. We have one and three on this podcast. Are, are you so we're, still we're a little above the rate? Are you still uh, taking Jones ahead of Peyton Barber, Ben? Yes. All right. Uh, Is there anything that could, other than a <laughs> season-ending injury for Ronald Jones, that could change that? Uh, no. Well, That's yeah. What I yeah. I mean, no. Yeah. I mean, it's it's about upside and and just understanding uncertainty at the position and. I don't think I know how good Ronald Jones is. I think I have more information that Peyton Barber's not very good. So the reason that I'm drafting Jones is for what I perceive to be some upside there in that layer of uncertainty about what he is as a player because he's so he was so young last year and didn't get a lot of touches. That would never, you know, I would never have that uncertainty uh, for Peyton Barber. I mean, even if he was very clearly the starter, I just don't think he's that good. I, we know a little bit more about him. All right, last question, guys. This one I thought was really interesting because I, I wrote something and then I reread it and I said, you know what, I think I'm going to change my answer. Who would you rather have, Darius Geis, 72nd overall, Miles Sanders, 76th overall, or Daryl Henderson, 80th overall? So all within eight picks of each other. Who would you rather have, Darius Geis, Miles Sanders, or Daryl Henderson? Ben, who do you got? It's Henderson for me. I, I just, I mean, he's a little more expensive than I like. And, you know, he's probably going to have a role. We've been hearing that since he was drafted. Uh, but if Gurley's healthy all 16 games, he's probably not going to return value at this ADP, but his upside is just super, super high. Again, it's a very similar discussion to what I was just saying about Ronald Jones is the the types of backs that I target in these rounds of the draft are guys that I think have potential RB1. um, And for him, especially Ronald Jones, maybe is like his upsides, maybe lower end RB1 or or high end RB2. I don't know if he's going to, potentially be a top five back. I don't know if I see that upside, but for Henderson, I think literally could be a, uh, he could be a top five back if Todd Gurley's not there. I mean, I, this offense has been very, very good for running backs the last few years. We saw it with CJ Anderson last year, stepping into it. The offensive line's going to take a little bit of a step back this year, but Henderson was a really good prospect. So for me, that's a little bit of a trade-off where I think Henderson is just a good player. So I'm not as concerned about the line stepping back. And and then the big thing is just the the receptions for the running backs in this offense and the touchdowns. The last two years, Todd Gurley has led the NFL in total touchdowns by three both seasons. So if he misses and Daryl Henderson is the lead back, I mean that's the workload that he's going to get. Just like we saw with C.J. Anderson, like that he, that's a very productive place to be. All right, Heath, Geis, Miles Sanders, or Henderson? I first off, <laughs> I do not believe in the dozens and dozens of drafts I've done so far that I have drafted any of these running backs in any drafts. I don't like the ADP for any of them. Um, I would agree with Ben that Henderson has the most upside, 
And I don't think there is a floor that exists for any of these three backs. So I would take Henderson. I, I like my projections, I think might have guys projected for more points in non PPR. He's the most likely guy to give you flex worthy production for the rest of the, for the full season. I think um, the only thing that I will push back on as far as what Ben said with Henderson and I wrote about it in, in my bus column. I, I don't know how fair it is to talk about the efficiency that Gurley had the last two years in this offense. First off, because Gurley was just out of this world. And second, because their offensive line was amazing and is not going to be as good this year. So I, I do think Henderson definitely has number one running back upside. It might be top. I might think it's more like top 12, but I think he needs a lot of things to go right as well. And I originally wrote Miles Sanders, and then I changed it to Darius Geis. So I didn't consider Daryl Henderson there, although I would agree that he has the most upside if Todd Gurley gets injured. But as Heath's brought up many times, Malcolm Brown is still there. We don't know for a fact they're just going to turn it over to Daryl Henderson. Uh, but, you know, Geis, look, I think you got to be a little encouraged. He's, he's pretty healthy, and we loved him before the ACL tear. He obviously has to compete with Adrian Peterson. Chris Thompson's going to catch the passes, but... They don't really have much to play for. They're going to figure that out pretty early. They're going to be looking toward the future. So the, the future is not Adrian Peterson, not the 35-year-old running back. The future is Darius Geis, and I think there's a good chance he gets a lot of work in the second half and maybe don't have to wait that long, maybe by the fourth week of the season. So I, I had Miles Sanders. I changed it to Darius Geis. And, uh, that's, I think that's a good change. I would take Geis over Sanders. only thing I would say against that is I don't know – like I, I think his upside is maybe in this season at least is maybe like 15, 16 touches a game, and I think he's in, he's probably the early downs back on a terrible team. Yeah, but 15, 16 touches a game for a guy that I'm getting 72nd overall, I'll take that, especially with his pedigree and how much everybody likes him coming out of college. Also, don't think Miles Sanders even has that upside. I mean, I, I know people want to say that they've never had that good of a player in this uh, backfield, but. Just the fact that they just brought back Darren Sproles as well, who played a ton on passing downs. He has like the in the Doug Peterson era, there's only been a few games where a single back has played more than I think it's 65 percent of the snaps. It's like a handful of times in three seasons. And uh, I'm pretty sure they were all Darren Sproles or four of the five times were were Darren Sproles because they're in these games where they trail. I mean, he he has that role and he's now back on the roster and uh, Jordan Howard pretty clearly going to have a role, I think, on early down short yardage stuff. So. They, they look really, to me, they, they look built for and heading again toward a committee. So I, and, yeah. And I, I talked to Jason Lockenfora on CBS Sports HQ earlier today, and he was at camp and he was talking about how they did, they weren't really um, looking like a team that wanted to run the ball very much. And Darren's, he was shocked by just right away how many first team snaps Darren Sproles was getting. Yeah, he's going to play more than I think people realize. That doesn't surprise me, though, that that the veteran is getting the first-team snaps. It's a long way to go, but, yeah, I I don't know that. I'm counting on Miles Sanders to get 15, 16 touches a game either. All right, so uh, one thing I want to tell you about here is our commissioner product. You all, if you're listening to this show, that means you're a diehard fantasy football player. You deserve the best place to play your fantasy football. Go to cbssports.com slash FFT to get your league started, cbssports.com slash FFT. Why play on CBS Sports? 
customizable scoring. You can create your own stat categories and adjust the scoring by position and more. You can reward for first downs. You can devalue the touchdown vultures. It's up to you. You can create schedules, in-depth schedules. There's a lot of flexibility there. We have advanced stats for analytics savvy managers. We're great for Dynasty now. You can swap up to three years of future draft picks. This website has gotten so much better in terms of Dynasty. So really, go to cbsports.com slash FFT and get started. There are other things I can tell you about, but I'll just leave it at that. I promise. It's I played on all the websites. CBS. Yeah, I'm a little biased. Just a touch. CBS is the best. We're going to take a quick break here on Fantasy Football today. When we come back, we got broken thumbs all over the place. We got holdouts everywhere. And we got Kalen Balaj running with the starters. We'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about upside when we come back. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Well, Sterling Shepard and Julian Edelman have, uh, have broken thumbs. Edelman, it looks like, is expected to be ready for week one. Shepard, on the other hand, Heath, uh, what's your reaction to this? He's week to week. He might be ready for week one. He might not. Do you get more excited about Evan Ingram, Golden Tate? What do you think? Say I don't partly? know about Ben, but I did not adjust my projections after the Sterling Shepard thumb injury. It's not a situation where he's on a new team or has a new quarterback or has something he has to learn. They seem very confident he's going to be back for week one. He does not need surgery. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not changing anything. I still had Golden Tate projected higher than Shepard, so that's like maybe that's part of the reason why. But I'm not, I'm not adjusting my rankings. Okay. Ben, Jarek McKinnon, on the pup list. He had a flare-up with his knee. You are someone who already had advocated for taking Matt Breida, that he was going way, that he was basically an afterthought, and he should have been. So your take now on the 49ers running backs. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to put McKinnon behind, and I already kind of felt like Breida was a better back, so I think Breida's going to have a good opportunity in the preseason to win the number two job. And I think they're probably both going to play like that. I expect them to use two backs uh, and that Brady will be playing a, a decent number of snaps in week one. So that's positive. He's a very good player. In my opinion, he's a lot younger than Jarek McKinnon. I, I definitely think he's a solid late round target. Who would you rather take Ronald Jones or Matt Breida? Jones. Okay. Heath, how about Ooh, you? That's a good one. Yeah. I like I. Who do you think is better? Ronald Jones. Breida. Well, you got to feel better about what Breed has done so far. I, and I might be anchoring to current ADP because I get Breed a lot later, you know, and I, I draft them both in like pretty much all of our analyst mocks. <laughs> but I get Breed a lot later. Uh, it, I guess it would depend on how high Breed goes, but uh, I could see a case for it too. It's a good question. All right. Uh, Michael Thomas has not reported, and Ezekiel Elliott did not travel with the team, which we talked about yesterday. Michael Thomas, by the way, is scheduled to make $1.15 million this season. 
Heath, uh, at what point do we get worried about Thomas and Zeke? August 6th. For both of them? Yep. Yeah, same They're both fourth-year players. All right, yeah, to accrue that year for free agency. Uh, Julio Jones wants to reach 3,000 yards this season. If he did, he won't. If he did, he'd probably score one touchdown. I would like to project every player perfectly this season. <laughs> uh, the the current single season record is Calvin Johnson, the uh, undisputed second best wide receiver in football history, one thousand nine hundred and sixty four yards in two thousand twelve. Well, if Jones's goal is three thousand, then he's easily going to beat that. He's going to be what one thousand nine sixty four? Yeah, he's easily aim for beat the moon. That. You'll I land mean, in the stars. I mean, I'd be disappointed if he did it. Then. Right? Like if if you're going to aim for three thousand and you don't get two thousand, then you are you had a terrible year. Yeah. Jack Doyle practice, Chris Carson practice, Ryan Fitzpatrick opened as the starting quarterback for Miami. Kalen Balaj still running with the ones. Heath, you think Kalen Balaj might actually be the starter for the Dolphins? I do. Um, I don't <laughs> really care. You should is. care because you're the one who's always drafting Drake. You love Drake. You should care. Right. I, I, don't, it, I don't think there is really any chance that Balage is taking more than 20 to 25% of the targets. I think those will be the most valuable touches in this offense. And I think it will be a committee. I don't know. What do you have the uh, carry split? Do you have Balage for more carries than Drake now yet? Ben, no. Or no should, and yeah. I was going to ask you how far you moved him up. Um, I, I didn't make a, a huge change, but I have uh, 167 for Drake and 105 for Balage right at this moment. I I might need to narrow that a little bit, but I still have Drake lean the backfield. I'm not I'm like this two two practices in July. I, you know, I've got him close to the same number of catches or carries. Yeah, which I had him closer than you do now before this. Um, but even with that, Drake's 25, 30 spots higher than the rankings because one, I his, he'll be better on his carries. And two, he's going to catch 40 more passes. Yeah, I have him for more than double the receptions as well. All right, next news item. Uh, Freddie Kitchens, Cleveland's head coach, said that Duke Johnson is going to have a significant role in the offense. Duke Johnson was, I want to say was number 12. He was right around top 12 at running back in PPR in 2017. He had a very good year with uh, three receiving touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns. 74 catches, uh, 82 carries. Do you think uh, that Duke Johnson, Ben, can have a big impact for fantasy teams? Um, no, not really. I mean, I, I whether he has a significant role kind of depends on your definition of significant. You just read off stats from 2017. Uh, you know, one, he had a, a huge touchdown spike that season. The rest of his career combined, his other three seasons, he hasn't matched the seven touchdowns that he had that year. But two... Nick Chubb wasn't on the roster yet. Last year, his receptions came down uh, by 27. His targets came down 31. So uh, it it was a lot different situation for him last year. Now, I do think he'll play. I think he'll be very involved uh, because Kareem Hunt's out for eight weeks, and he's very clearly the second running back. As long as he's still on the roster and hasn't been traded, I think he's going to play on passing downs. I think he's going to be involved. I just don't necessarily think he's going to be huge for fantasy, but that, you know, the idea that he's going to be a significant part of the offense. I mean, if you define significant as someone who's playing a decent amount of snaps, like, yeah, then he's, he's yeah, yeah. going to be, it's going to be out there. 
Right. All right. And finally, Pittsburgh extended Mike Tomlin's contract through at least 2021. And Chargers left tackle Russell Okung had a pulmonary embolism, and there's no timetable for a return. So Ben talked about his running back strategy last week, and I wanted to focus on it a little bit more. How would you sum up that running strat- running back strategy? Um, the, the short version would just be basically not taking running backs in starting in around round three, around four until at least like round seven. And like we did a, a, a pick by pick recently, me and Heath and Dave and Jamie, and we each drafted from three spots and I didn't do this on purpose, but I noticed after when I was writing the reviews of the three teams I drafted, I didn't take a running back in the third, fourth or fifth on any of these teams. And I only took one on one of the teams. I took uh, Tevin Coleman in the sixth and the other two teams, the gap from the third went all the way to, for one, it was the eighth for one, it was the ninth. And the reason for that, and I wrote a little article called the running back dead zone in the CBS magazine. It's going to be up on the site uh, in a couple of weeks as well. Um, did a little bit of a research over the last 10 years, made different little cutoffs for seasonal points, points per game for guys who played more than half the season, but maybe didn't play all 16. And then guys who are really good late in the season and built out a cohort of like 56, I think it was running backs who you could describe as elite performances to try to figure out where these elite performances come from. And the vast majority come from first and second round picks. Then there's, uh, which I think was 33 of the 56. Then there was like five that were around three picks. From rounds four through round nine, there were only seven guys with ADPs that fell in that range that had elite running back seasons, or at least as, as I was defining them. And then in rounds 10 to 16, there were nine guys. It's like basically the same amount of draft picks. There's actually more elite seasons coming from the late part of drafts. And then there were like two that were undrafted as well. And, 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 and these guys... 10 to 16 that were elite. They had to have played. How many elite games did they have? Like, how did you define elite? Was it just three games at the end of the year or what? Total season points. uh, I set the lowest cutoff. I'd set a little bit of a higher cutoff for the guys who did miss some time, but played at least half the season. And their point per game cutoff, I believe, was 20 points per game in PPR leagues. And then for the late season breakout types, uh, I think I I had it even higher. I think I had it at 23 points per game. So it pulled in guys like Damian Williams from last year and Derrick Henry from last year and some guys in prior seasons. Um, because, I, you know, I think those guys are notable to study as well. Where do these guys come from, these late season breakouts? And Derrick Henry was one of the guys who came from this dead zone, actually, because he was like a fourth round pick last year. So who made it so, from last year? Uh, I don't have the list in front of me. I know Williams and, and Henry were the two that pulled in from uh-huh. uh, the final cutoff that I used. And then... You know, Saquon, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Alvin Kamara would have all made it. I'm trying to pull it up right now, but I don't know what I named. No, that's cool. I just, I'm just i trying for our fantasy owners to gauge who we're talking about. That's cool. All right. So, yeah, it's, so, so it's a super elite cohort. I mean, it's definitely like it's not – that was kind of the point. Was oh, not to pull in guys James that Connor, were like – James Conner made it, I assume. James Conner made it on the – yeah, the points per game threshold cutoff. Right. I'm, I'm almost certain. Okay, cool. All right. So, so yeah. So I get it. It's it's exci- you're you only want guys with huge upsides basically right so the point yeah the point that I like to to sum up the what I take away from this that round four to round nine range you're drafting guys that in my opinion you take to make yourself feel better on draft day hmm. about the depth in your running back position like Lamar Miller is a great example that's a dude that I will never take I don't care how far he falls we know what 16 games of Lamar Miller and the Houston Texans offense looks like. 
We also know that um, Deontay Foreman's two years removed from an Achilles and could potentially overtake him. The big thing is like every year there are these guys that we have to project as a lead back because we have to project someone to be the lead back. Alex Collins was the poster boy last year, right? He was a guy who looked like the lead back for the Ravens. And really the Ravens are the are the poster boys going back several years because the year before Terrence West was the highest drafted Ravens running back. The year before that, it was Justin Forsett. And every year these guys have usurped the guy before. Terrence West ended up being the, the lead back instead of Forsett. Then it was Collins usurping West. Last year it was Gus Edwards taking over for Collins for one reason or another. We see this, this turnover every year in a lot of different backfields. But what we can't really project in the preseason is where a guy like Gus Edwards is going to get 137 carries is what I think he had last year. There's there's no way to project that. So you wind up a little bit too high on some of these backs that are in the weaker offenses or in the less stable situations. Uh, like the broader The broader theme would be that drafters are pretty good at identifying the top 10 or 15 or maybe even 20 running back situations in the league every year. But then the back half of the 32 teams were propping up guys that have pretty dubious claims to being the number one back and they get drafted in that range. They're not, they don't actually have huge upside. The best case scenario is basically that they hit ADP, which is not going to win you your league. You're also not going to lose your league, not drafting that guy. Uh, And then the late round guys, types of players you want to target guys that have good receiving workloads guys that are in great offenses, James Conner last season, Alvin Kamara in 2017. Those are two guys that made the list as late round dudes who were in great offenses and had the potential to catch a lot of passes. Obviously, Conner's situation was pretty unique with Le'Veon Bell. He would have went a lot higher if we knew that Bell was going to be out. But elite offenses, you know, if you assume that maybe Bell would have had an injury, elite offenses, if a guy can step into a, a full workload in a great offense, they can have that kind of impact. Damian Williams is another example of a guy last year who stepped right in and was very, very good because of how good the offense was and it had a huge impact on his ability to produce for fantasy. So that's that's kind of the main theory. Like in the back, in the, the round four to round nine range, we're looking at the lead backs and bad bad offenses don't have huge upside, even if they do stay the starter. But a lot of them end up losing their jobs anyway. Um so basically just don't draft running backs in that range. I think there are guys you can you can target if you have the right amount of upside. Ronald Jones is a guy we've talked about. Um, Daryl Henderson is a guy that I do take in that range sometimes. But typically I'm just waiting and then loading up really heavy. Uh, and then my, my rosters look really bad. Like it's funny, in all our mocks we get the, the CBS reviews and they send them out and I always get really bad grades in my drafts because they think my running backs are terrible. Even if I go running back, running back, round one or round two, since I don't draft another one until maybe round 10, I get a really bad grade on running back, but I'm not so worried about that uncertainty going into week one. I'm worried about how my team's going to develop throughout the season. And some of those guys are probably going to get an opportunity. And if I take enough of those running backs in the double digit rounds, I'm hoping to hit on at least one or two. And then the obvious other benefit, I can save those single digit rounds to target receivers who could be league winners to target elite tight ends, maybe to go and take a pretty high quarterback in the sixth or seventh round. All right, but let me. This is my last question. I'm going to turn it over to Heath. Are you pigeonhole? Are you pigeonholing yourself into going running back, running back, in basically every draft with this strategy? No. Nope. Then no. Okay. Then how do you ever have good running backs? Like, how how do you get these these uh, league winning wide receivers if you're probably not taking wide receivers in rounds one and two? Unless unless of course you are. Yeah, no, you you would be. I mean, if so, like I was mentioning the pick by pick that we did uh, on one of the three teams, I was at, at the 12th spot and I went Odell Beckham, Travis Kelsey. 
And then by the time it comes back to me in that three, four range, that's where I'm way higher on the receivers than I am on the running backs. I believe I took uh, Diggs or Brandon Cooks or somebody, and in, in, in I took two two receivers there. Uh, I can't remember who the other one was, but I, I think Diggs or Cooks went right before me. I wanted to get both of them. I didn't get both of them. But regardless, I wind up with three pretty solid receivers, and it comes back around five, six. That's where I took Tevin Coleman to be my, my running back one. That's a little higher than I probably wouldn't normally take one, but I did that because I hadn't taken a running back yet. But by that point, I had uh, three stud receiver, or excuse me, four stud receivers. I was filled out all the way down to my flex with really good receivers, plus Travis Kelsey at tight end. So yeah, my running backs aren't going to be great, but if I can hit on the 2018 James Conner, the 2017 Alvin Kamara, then all of a sudden my roster looks pretty phenomenal because it's really good at every other spot. The The tough part about knowing whether or not I'm going to hit on those guys, or, or at least I, you know, obviously we don't know if, if we're going to find those guys, but at least I'm taking a lot of shots at that, right? I get six running backs in that range that could be this year's Camara or Connor, and I'm hoping to hit on one or two. Okay. So it's certainly a high upside strategy. Heath, your thoughts? I, I get it mostly, and I think I've been the most open to just the zero running back approach. And not taking one at all until round seven or round eight in past years. And I, and I still am in the, in the back two or three picks in the first round. I The one thing I wonder, like this has to vary a little bit, it seems like, dependent on ADP and dependent on the running backs in each year that are in that range. Because like as they rule yes that range of running back i don't you don't generally see a lot of upside but i think there are a handful of guys now that like i'm taking in the sixth or seventh round sometimes guys that fall into the start of the fourth round that i kind of do feel like have that upside and it's guys like like later in the range it's someone like rashad penny right who i, I think is like I think he fits into the whole mold of what Ben's looking for pretty well. It's just you're having to pay a little bit more for him. But if something happens to Chris Carson, he's on a team that wants to run the ball 700 times this year. Yeah, it's funny though. Cause, um, cause, so I would or, say for or, guys, or even like Josh Jacobs, for guys in that range who did hit, um, and I did study that a little bit more. It was young guys like that. Those are great names to target. It's a big reason I brought up Daryl Henderson and Ronald Jones too. It's young guys. Um, that are kind of being pushed down just because we haven't seen it yet, and they fall in that range. Absolutely agree with Penny and Jacobs as guys who could be that. Uh, but the the main point is just you're paying a lot more for probably a little bit of a safer floor in those late single-digit rounds than in the double-digit rounds, but not necessarily a higher rate overall of um, of upside. Now that doesn't mean you can't take running backs there. It just means that when you do, you should target ones that you believe have this elite upside. Like Keith is talking about, there's a couple good names that he just named. Um, but don't just load up on running backs in that range when you're not really increasing your team's potential to, to nab league winners. Cause you're giving up the potential of grabbing league winners at other positions. All right. So my, for me, I would personally cherry pick from your strategy and I like your late round strategy more of taking guys with massive upside in good offenses. I don't think that I'm going to agree with you on guys li- like that whole group of running backs, Aaron Jones, uh, on Johnson, Devonte Freeman, Marlon Mack. I'm going to like that group more than you are. Josh Jacobs in there as well. And I'm not ignoring that group. 
Um, but I do know that, like, you you mentioned Alex Collins. I would go back a year before that, too, and say Isaiah Crowell, uh, Kenyon Drake. Like, there are those guys. So many. There Paul are Perkins, so many. Rob Kelly, you know, Matt Jones a couple years ago for Washington as well. There's so many. Amir Abdullah. There's so many guys in this there range are. that they're not even in the league anymore. There, you're right. You're right. There are. So I, I, I'll be aware of that. Um, but I'm still going to be a little higher on that group than you are. But, no, it's. I mean, it is interesting. And you have some data to back it up. Uh, and, and you know what? The best point you made is like you really shouldn't do stuff on draft day just to make yourself feel better about your team. You should never care about the draft grade you get from a, whatever website you're using. You have to have kind of a long-term look at it and um, some good, good takeaways there from Ben. So I will ask you then who has elite upside. I will look at a group of players, and then we will do some regulating. Uh, let's try to do this in uh, about five minutes, guys, so we can have plenty of time to get to some league disputes. Does he have elite upside? Carson Wentz, Heath. Yes. Yes. I'm going to say yes only if he is mobile, only if he has a decent amount of rushing yards. doesn't have to be as much as his rookie year. But he's got to be able to use his legs because if he doesn't, like their offense took a major step back last year, and I'm a little worried but that the air got- yards should be there. It'll be a vertical passing game that that does help the passing stats. Kind of a Jameis Winston profile from last year, and the reason that people like him as well. Getting to Sean Jackson, you think is very good right. for Wentz. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. All right. Does Russell Wilson have elite upside? No. Yes. I their don't. defense is bad, and they're forced to throw more, and he runs more. I absolutely think he has a lead up. So two seasons ago, he was a quarterback one. I mean, that's... He, he was the worst QB one in the last nine years, I think. But but he still was the QB one. Like, he would have been QB four with that last year based on his 2017 fantasy point total. Uh, but that was always something that bugged me about Wilson. But that was when he was going as a top-five quarterback. He isn't anymore. You know, their I, I defense, would, their defense wasn't that good last year, by the way, just just I, for the record. I, I, I want to clarify. I think Russell Wilson is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the entire NFL. I'm not trying to say I don't think he has the talent to has, have a lead upside. And I have moved him up a little bit because of a couple of dings to their defense. I don't really believe that he has 550 pass attempt upside and there are going to be a handful if not more quarterbacks who throw the ball 600 times and if their defense struggles i feel more like they'll just slow it down to try to keep them off the field they they've um, had they've had a i would call them a, a slightly above average defense in terms of total yards and points allowed each of the last two seasons and in those two seasons, Seattle has. But they lost Frank Clark and they lost Earl Thomas. They did. They didn't have Earl Thomas for all of last year either. But yes, losing losing Frank Clark is big. But they they're just like they're well coached, you know. So all right, fine, fair enough. But my point is, with the same basically same type of defense two two straight years, they were twentieth in rushing one year and second in rushing the other in terms of attempts. So. You know, I, I don't know that the defense matters. I think it just might be what the coaching staff wants to do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, Moving my on. take would just be game flow. They had a lot of close games last year that they stayed in. And I just, the, it, the, the possibility for him to hit 550 pass attempts really only exists. I know the coaches, I totally agree the coaches want to run the ball. It really only exists if they're a lot worse and they trail a lot more. And then they have to let Wilson throw. 
Jameis Winston, does he have a lead upside? Yes. Yep. AJ Green, does he have a lead upside? Yes. I don't really think so. <laughs> I think he does. Yeah, I, I mean, again, another player I think is very talented. I expect them to spread the ball around a little more than they did back when A.J. Green was a was a true number one receiver. A.J. Green has had three, three seasons in which he has been a top six wide receiver in non-PPR and probably very, very close to PPR, if not even better, on a per-game basis. And in those three seasons... Three, his three best per game seasons. He had he was on pace for 164, 178, and 160 targets. So when he's been on a uh, less than 160 target pace, he has not been a top six wide receiver on a per game basis. Does that mean anything to you? Because I don't really think he's getting 160 targets this year. That's that's what I was saying. Right. Yeah, I was just putting the numbers. Yeah, too. I think that's fair. That's good. I- that kind of changed my mind a little bit. I was going to say, I mean, most of his issues over the last several seasons, and you alluded to it with the per-game stats, are that he's missed time. Like, yeah. he's still been pretty darn good. But, you know, the, the target concerns could be real. We don't yeah. really know what to expect from Zach Taylor's offense, though. I mean, if that if they if they have a good offense somehow, their O-line's an issue, but if they have a good offense somehow, just by getting rid of Marvin Lewis and getting a new system in there, he's still very talented, so it's it's possible. Yeah, and they have talent on the offense. Their line is going to be an issue, but it, it, Andy Dalton was on pace for 34 passing touchdowns and his second-highest passer rating when A.J. Green was healthy in eight games. Green played nine, but he you know he barely played in one of them, and it was like after missing a few games. Julian Edelman, does he have a lead upside? Edelman. Only PBR. Yeah, and I don't even know if I'd call it elite. I think it's like low-end wide receiver one upside. Yeah, but he still is, is so safe. He's got probably right. probably the most predictable stat line. Brandon Cooks, does he have a lead upside? I'm Same. gonna I'm gonna say yes. Um, I I you think wait, of, that means you think he has more upside than AJ Green. Yeah, interesting. Here's here's what I'm gonna say, and I, this could be wrong, um, but I kind of overlooked just how good. Brandon Cooks was last year and it's easy to overlook how good he's been just every year because it's kind of the same thing but he basically missed a game last year set a career high with 1200 receiving yards and had some bad touchdown luck really for the first time since his rookie year and towards the playoffs 200 yard games averaged like 97 yards in his three games in the playoffs as well yeah yeah without Cooper Cup for what it's worth, I, but yeah, I think he may have a higher ceiling than AJ Green this year. Yeah, I, I'm I'm upset that his ADP, Brandon Cooks' ADP, has well, not his ADP in the drafts that we've done keeps it's like a rising like a round where now Heath I, I see taking Cooks at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth round, around the 36th, 37th overall pick, whereas before it was more like 48, 49 overall. Uh, but I think people are just kind of realizing, like, Brandon Cooks, one way or the other, is going to get his numbers, and he thinks there's a lot of upside there. He just He's never had a huge target season, but uh, he's had 129. Right, I was going to say same as Edelman. He, I think he has low-end wide receiver one upside, which is still really good upside, in my opinion. There is no segment with more upside than the fantasy regulators, and we're going to take a quick, quick break. When we come back, we're regulating. All right, we got your questions. Here we go. Fantasy regulators and put... Put, like, Fantasy Regulators football in the subject line. That would be very helpful. CBSI, fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. This is from Mark. 
This year, we're thinking of implementing a 24-hour trade counter window. I'm going to tell you right now, Mark, Heath is going to hate, hate this idea. We're thinking of implementing a 24-hour trade counter window. So when a trade is agreed upon between two teams, the trade will then become public information via group text for 24 hours. At which point, members of the league can then propose their own counter offers for the players accepted in the trade. Is this at least a decent idea? It would promote smack talk, but at the same time act as a form of veto for severely lopsided trades. And two, would we have to limit the counter offers for only those players that were already agreed to in the trade and not like add other players, basically? So uh, what do you think? The 24-hour counter offer window. I love this. Really? I only want to play in leagues that have this from now on. <laughs> This is awesome. I mean, it, it's, I, no, it's really so like unfair. That. It is so unfair for the teams making the trades. Sure, but I like a the the form of veto thing because that's like such a huge sticking point for a lot of leagues. Is when you know someone maybe doesn't know what they're doing as much and they end up getting kind of preyed on a little bit. If that if something like that happens in your league, you have a built-in way for someone else to step in and say, hey, look, I will give you more for that player you're going to trade away. That's not fair. I, That's not fair to me. I made a great trade. Why should I suffer because somebody else is making a better offer? That's not fair. This is a terrible this idea. Is, this is basically like fab for trades. This I love guy it. Has taken it things to a new – like you thought I was going to hate this. This is not like the veto system. This is the fix for the no, it isn't. You know how this is okay. This would be like if you this win a guy, point, no, you no, win a guy no for one, eight dollars on Fab, and then the next day I say, actually, I'll take him for twelve. No, no, it's ridiculous. No one is going to have a chance to say that trade was not fair because they had a chance to beat the offer. The difference with Fab, with no. your point right there, Adam, was everyone knows when when waivers are running. Not everyone always knows because it's hard to get in touch with everyone in your league that they somebody's trade on the offer. Block. No, that's no. This is not fair. You would be so bad if you made a trade and then it got overturned because someone else Adam, made a different trade. Adam, you're going to know the rules when you go in. Right, the you would get used to it. This after you make the bad trade. Terrible take. The trade's not Terrible take. If you listen, to, if you listen to Heath and Ben, which you shouldn't. Part though, you should only be able to go after the exact particulars of the trade. That's what I. I think that would simplify it. And then fine, if you're gonna, I, I'll, I'm willing to. I'm not really willing to compromise, but for the sake of this argument, I will be. If the, you're gonna do this awful idea, you should at the very least give the person who made the original trade a chance to beat any counteroffer. Sure, it's it's open for 24 hours. Yeah, I have the final word, the final bit. All right, let's go. Next one. Next one's from Randy. Uh. You are the number one seed with one game to go before the playoffs. Losing on purpose drops you down to number two, which works out because there's a higher chance of beating the winner of this bracket. There's no collusion. Thoughts? I've run into this before, and I don't think you can lose on purpose because what happened was that the team that they were losing on purpose to, it pushed that team into the playoffs, and they would have beat them, and it cost someone else a playoff spot. So I think you have to play out like you're trying to win at all times because it's like it impacts everyone else in the league. I, I think you should, Randy. I think there are ways to do this without getting called out for it. And I think it's a really, really terrible, awful idea. Like I don't believe in jinxes or anything like that, except for in this instance, I'm relatively certain if you do something to pick your opponent in the playoffs, you're going to lose to the person you yes. choose to play. That's the best part. You'll end up getting scored more on you than, than the one you thought you were, were going to be able to beat. All right, next up, you got some fun ones here. 
All right, this one, I don't know if I have a name here. I'm sorry about that. But there's a spirited debate in our 16-team non-PPR Keeper Auction League where trading auction dollars is allowed. There is one league member named Jeff who is eager to make changes to some of the basic scoring rules, and he, uh, there we go. Jeff, here are some of the changes that Jeff wants to make. Um, he wants half PPR instead of non-PPR. He wants to add a flex spot. He wants to get rid of the kicker. Jeff is great your, yeah, job. I, Jeff. Hold on, hold Everyone on. Everyone should try to be hold a on, Jeff. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is usually making a fuss about these issues or something else every year around this time, and it's nearing the point where he cannot get support for any of his ideas simply because they are his ideas. It's almost as if when you read a message from him in the group chat, you just want to throw up your hands and say, ah. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? Other people in the league are happy with the way the league is right now. The 16 teams, the keepers, and the trading of auction dollars all make the league challenging and different than most leagues. We would like you to regulate the possible changes that Jeff is advocating for, but also let us know if it's easier to take a page out of Heat's book and just kick him out of the league. Jeff's ideas are good ideas. Yeah, um, I like them too. They are pretty good. You, but if you guys don't like Jeff's ideas, you can just have a league that's not as... Jeff friendly the, the, the way I would like it. Um, and Jeff can go find his own league. I mean, it doesn't sound like Jeff may not have a, a bunch of extra friends to join a league with, but uh, no, I like his ideas. Um, but if everybody else doesn't, it doesn't really matter. All right. Let's, that was regulated. Let's get to our next one here. It's from Mike in Orlando. I'm the commissioner. Oh, this is great. I'm a commissioner of a 12 team league. We're going into our 10th year. There has been some controversy as to what our next year's punishment for the loser will be. It's down to three options, and I wanted to see which one you guys think would be the most harsh, yet the most fun for everyone. All right. Punishments for coming in last. One, place a car magnet on your car that says, I suck at fantasy football, honk to shame me. This would then be followed up by the league choosing a photo of you and placing it on the Reddit thread, roast me. Then, of course, we will post all the comments to our Facebook group. Two, we make a reservation at Applebee's for you and one other. Your guest is a blow-up doll, and you must order two meals and enjoy a lovely dinner with your new friend, and obviously this would be documented heavily. Or three, at the end of next year's draft, the league champion can choose anyone on your roster and swap them with anyone he wants from his roster. This would then lead to the most lopsided trade in fantasy football history. You would also have to perform a karaoke song of the league's choice prior to the draft. Not three, for sure. Two. Yeah, like the two. Applebee's one for. Oh yeah, it's an intimate setting. It's oh, that's got to be even more embarrassing because you can't leave. You're just sitting there. I mean, the honk at cha- to shame me thing. It's that's just a quick embarrassment. The other, the Applebee's thing is just a long, <laughs> slow. <sighs> it's great. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with one or two. Just definitely not three. Yeah, yeah three is bad. He says his league is full of true degenerates, but also close friends who love to destroy each other's souls. I feel like Applebee's with a blow-up doll is how you do that. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, Heath, we have an email here. Somebody's trying to make a case for the worst commissioner ever. Do you okay. think Do you think this person will be able to top me? I'm assuming this person's in one of your leagues. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. David from D.C. would need some regulating. I want to make the case for the worst ever commissioner. Examples. Let's see how many of these I've done. 
The last two years, we restarted live drafts because he neglected to make them snake format. <laughs> On four or five occasions, we scrambled to add a 12th member within an hour of the draft because he doesn't do head counts until the last minute. <laughs> he refuses to collect money, assigning a treasurer role to whoever is willing. If you ask him for a ruling on anything, he says, quote, check the website. <laughs> That's <laughs> he, great. He does odd things with, without input, such as home field advantage points for season matchups. One point, <laughs> arbitrary. And higher playoff seeds get three points. He once formed two divisions and without hesitation placed the weakest members on his side. <laughs> His that trades are pushed through prior to the league consent, but he disputes anyone else's trades. That's bad. Also weak. Despite the lack of awareness and effort and the fact that we rarely retain the same 12 members year to year, he proclaimed last season that 2019 would be our first year as a keeper league. <laughs> no one knows the rules. What happens with waiver pickups from last season? Who gets the rights to traded players? How many keepers do we even get? Making it worse, last year he chose Geis with his last pick to stash. Only later did we realize just how shady that move was without future rules outlined. We're now a month away from the start of the season, and he hasn't activated the league. He hasn't reached out over the text chain. I'm tired of being the de facto commissioner tasked to prod him into action. The league is on track to fold. The obvious solution is for him to relinquish commissioner duties, but here's the thing. He's obsessed with the power. There have been talks of a coup for a few years or just abandoning the league in mass. But if either happened, he is sensitive and stubborn enough for it to affect real friendships. This is supposed to be our 10th year in the league of old high school friends. It's one of the only ways we all keep in touch. Generally, all of us would like to continue. So what do we do about our overly sensitive absentee megalomaniac commissioner? Oh, that, how many years have you been out of, out of high school? This is Ted. Ted. No, you, Adam. Oh, uh, 14, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah. So maybe no, no, more college. than that, more than that. I've been out of college for 14 years. Wow. I've been out of high school for six, so 20 old. years. Um, thank cow. you, David, for a fantastic email. I don't know how old I am. Um, I've been out of that... high school for 17 <laughs> years. Um, it, it, it's Adam's really... about to have a midlife crisis live on the air. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're middle-aged. Yeah, I uh, just turned 50. Well, no, but you are definitely middle middle aged. I'm thirty five. I'm I'm thirty something. It doesn't matter. Mid thirties. I'm yeah. thirty five. Double that, you get seventy. That's probably. You're <laughs> I, probably I feel like I can do better than there. that. Uh, this um, commissioner sucks. This is hilarious. Oh, he's awful. But it sounds like you're good enough friends to not want to upset the friendship. And I know at least one overly sensitive megalomaniac commissioner and i've seen him get upset over fantasy things and have it affect personal relationships so not me I, right you're honestly you like, have to worry me. about that a little bit you're not talking about me are you um, <laughs> what? that's ridiculous. can you imagine losing because of home field advantage points like you lose by a half point home field advantage. Now, i will say in defense of i don't think he ever gave us his commissioner's name let's just call him adam in defense of Adam, I actually agree with um, the home field advantage in the playoffs. No, that's a tiebreaker. You don't get extra points a for it. Controversial take, Jeez. but I, I do. 
I don't I don't hate it. You should get a little bit of a bonus. Like it's it's weird that we put so much on the weeks 14 to 16 and not on weeks 1 to 13, which mattered a lot too. Right. Um but and I know like Adam doesn't often collect money for leagues that he's the commissioner of. That's um, true. That's that's a good point. I have a treasurer. Who I never, think this guy crosses the line with the forming divisions and stacking it again, <laughs> like with the weakest players and pushing through his own trades without anyone getting and, to voice well, it and disputing yeah. others. Those are just like clear, comp- like and, competitive imbalances. Yeah, and, and the taking Darius Geis in the last oh. round the year before yeah, he yeah, turned into one. a keeper league. What? How, did, how do you not set it as a snake draft? Multiple times you've had this problem. <laughs> That's the easiest thing. The default setting has to be snake draft. Like, are you kidding I me? Would, like, I would probably, if everyone else agrees, I would nominate someone else in the league to tell this guy that either he he turns over commissionership or the league is over and he's not invited to the new one. You should get a petition going and everyone in the league signs it and then hand it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Give him like a nice thank you card or something. And then when he opens it, it's like, you're not our commissioner anymore. Uh, we hate you, actually. <laughs> I like it. Or or just start a new league, you be the commissioner, and send him an invite to join the league if he wants to. <laughs> all right, all good options. Thank you very much. We are done for the day. We are done for the week. 8.30 in the morning Eastern. That's when we're recording our next show on Monday. That means it's going to be out nice and early. A lot of you for your, uh, for your morning commute. So I hope you're excited about that. I am extremely excited about that. Ben, thank you for coming on. Heath, thank you. I want you guys to have great weekends. Get refreshed. Get charged up for another big week of fantasy football. And we'll Let's go drink you. some beer. Yeah, all right. There you go. We'll talk yeah, to you on Monday. See ya. <laughs>